Welcome back to another episode of Enablement Vault. Uh, I'm your host, Hector. And uh, as always, I've got my co-host, Kieran Smith, with me today. Thanks, Hector. Yeah, I'm really excited because we have, within the enablement world, a true heavyweight, someone who's very well respected, someone who's led enablement functions at the likes of Greenhouse and Outreach, um, and is also becoming a little bit of a TikTok stroke um, social media star, uh, which I'm sure she won't mind telling us a little bit about. Uh, but we're 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 joined by Whitney Seek, um, and Whitney, you're currently at uh, the Enablement Enthusiast. So by way of kicking us off, would you mind you can give us a little bit of a, an overview of who you are and then let us know about the Enablement Enthusiast? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for the introduction. So Enablement Enthusiast evolved from a pandemic passion project into a side hustle, into a full-time consultancy over the past two and a half years. And my mission is to really elevate the enablement function. And there are a few ways that I do this. First is individual and executive coaching for enablement practitioners and leaders. The next is around team coaching, which we focus on strategy and process workshops, get really hands-on to help move the function from reactive to strategic. And then the third is around advising. So helping companies start their enablement functions from scratch the right way, because we know that the way that you start the function either sets you up for success or failure. Last but not least, I work with a lot of the enablement tech space, either doing influencer marketing campaigns or keynote addresses, just making sure that we're hearing the voice of enablement and helping to take that high level theory down to applications, information that we can use day to day. So that's what I'm doing right now. Perfect. Well, that was a great overview. So I appreciate that. So now let's get into the real reason why you're here. I know this is a topic very close to your heart, which is stakeholder management. Now that is a, that's a phrase that we hear all the time in sales, right? Any Anything revenue-wise, we hear about stakeholder management, but you are very passionate about it from the enablement point of view. So from your point of view, Whitney, what is stakeholder management? Why is it important within sales or revenue enablement? Yeah, and it's interesting that you call it the distinction that it's important in sales because I'm of the belief that enablement is sales, but we just have internal customers. But yes, I am very passionate about stakeholder management because I found that this topic comes up most frequently on my coaching calls. And you know what this is like. It's like an enabler that's frustrated that sales management either isn't bought in or the subject matter expert isn't showing up, they're non-responsive, and enablement's in a really tough position. They've got to influence really strong personalities on revenue teams without authority. And I think it's really important that we get to the root of why this is challenging, how we can develop a muscle here, because it's honestly one of those catch-22s. Like, it's my favorite part of the job because I'm social and I love to interact with so many different perspectives of the business. And I get to work with a variety of really smart people that are solving tough challenges. But then it's my least favorite part as well, because it's draining having to convince someone to make you a priority. So, yeah, it's, it's something I'm really passionate about. It's, it's interesting that you are building these relationships and then basically using them to justify the cost for your, your job, right? It's, it's almost like these relationships are your own social currency, one might say. And so... What I'm kind of curious about is when you have this enablement currency, where is the best place to spend it, especially early doors, if you're just getting into enablement? What a fantastic question and observation around social currency there. Um, Yeah, your network is your net worth, right? And so even within a business, that's the case. And these are the people that are your stakeholders. They're your internal customers. And they're either 
shouting the value of enablement or expressing FOMO, fear of missing out by not getting the enablement they need. And so it really helps to create the business cases for additional resources or additional investment. And it helps you prioritize your time in the right way so that you can make that impact. So critical relationships is why any person who starts an enablement function should spend that first bit of their experience in a new organization doing a listening tour and getting to understand the preferences and the work styles of the people that they'll be interacting with. I, f- I find that really interesting. That, like, you know, like, I think Hector summed it up really well, right, with the social currency and how you do that. And I think you and I have had conversations previously, Whitney, and I think one of the ways you phrased it, which sort of builds on what you just mentioned there, is a lot, or if not all, of enablement is is based on or based around sales sales leadership and very yeah. dependent on that. Um, but when when you use that phrase, that a lot of enablement is dependent on sales leadership. What what do you, what does that mean from from your point of view? It means that enable that sales leadership can be they have a multiplier effect. When it can be a good multiplier effect or it can be a negative multiplier effect, depending on how you build that relationship. And so when like let's take the bad example first it's a leader that goes through the training and their team goes through it but then they go back to their day-to-day life and they say oh you can keep doing things the way you always were like it's okay and gosh that like kills a program because especially in sales where people talk that one individual coaching conversation spreads to the team and then could potentially spread to other teams where managers were positive influencers and and promoters of the program and so it can really be the downfall of an enablement program if you get you've got that type of negative influence. Now, on the flip side, I mean, we know that learning is not an event but an ecosystem. And so you need your your leadership involved to help reinforce programs. And I've actually there's a there was a study done a while ago, and I, I'm sorry that I don't have the source for it, so you'll just have to take my word for it. Um, <laughs> Where like enablement leaders actually have the most influence and success of a training program before the program even starts. It is how do they help with the motivation, inspiration, and expectation of what the field will get out of that training. And so creating these champions of your sales leaders is really critical to making sure that folks come in with the right attitude to consume the information and to put it into adoption. And so this is one of the most important relationships within an enablement professional career. And it's one of the things that I hear often as like the biggest pain point, because there's a lot of assumptions and expectations that enablers put onto sales management. It's probably like um, a symptom of what they hear from a lot of other revenue leaders in strategy discussions where it's like, oh, the frontline manager should be doing this. But you add all those things up and you've got so many expectations of a frontline manager that it's unrealistic. I once heard this analogy like, and, and saw a demonstration where someone put a rubber band around their two fingers for every task that a frontline manager had. And in the beginning, you're flexible enough, right? Like you can still be nimble and adjust, but as you put more and more rubber bands on for the different activities and expectations of a frontline manager, that becomes so restrictive and so tight that you're not able to get paralyzing in effect. And so I think it comes down to empathy and making sure that you understand what are your stakeholders going through and how can you help influence that? Just to build off of that analogy, and I, I don't know, maybe this is the way that my, my mind works. So when, sure. when you first join a team, um, <clears throat> if I use dating as an example, 
most common dating practices is like maybe you go for dinner once a week same sort of thing with enablement you drip feed those those programs and those initiatives if someone you, you know you went for one drink and then you stayed over for four days and they thought do you know what can you just get out my house this is this is way too much way too quickly I think do you think that's a similar sort of thing when you first move into an organization I've got you know 100 programs that I want to run I want to do all of them straight away or is it better to build those things up gradually and gain that that trust and eventually maybe get married who knows <laughs> yeah. right. I'm not person to ask for relationship advice but uh to continue with that analogy I think what you're forgetting is the the early stalking that has to happen to understand the person prior to going on that first day <laughs> this is big this is getting really personal really quickly yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I started this off by saying that you were a, an influencer and now you've become a stalker. We're like 10 yeah. minutes. I don't know how we've gotten here. <laughs> yeah, what, um, what I mean by that is that you've got to do your market research within a company as well. And so one way that I typically start a function is I go through and I do a leadership landscape survey. And so this is something very tactical that folks that are listening can adopt. It is a survey to understand what are the preferences of your sales leader and what are the like cultural pillars? Um, I ask questions about like what methodologies are they familiar with? What staff items are they familiar with? Which ones do they like, not like? Um, I ask about how they define enablement because if you, you need to know, is it an uphill battle? Do they think of enablement as tactical deliverable or do they think of it as a strategic partner? And how far is that gap that you're going to have to bridge when you want to move them to ideal state? So starting really early, getting a lay of the land, even understanding like who do they get their information from? What other sales influencers, how do they learn? How do they learn in their day-to-day -day job right now without enablement? And if they share that they're you know listening to a variety of podcasts or following people on social media, you know that those are going to be people that will get the field excited to bring to a kickoff. Right. So there's a lot of like deeper value in getting to know your stakeholders in that way. That's that's a great answer. But I'm gonna play devil's advocate because we can get a little bit we can get a little bit um enablement happy at times on this podcast and be like, it's us against the world, right? We can get like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, no, I was a I was a sales leader for a long time, right? For like over 10 years. And I was that guy, right? Well, and I I literally grew up in the sales leadership position without training, without enablement. If you'd have asked me what my exposure was like, I'd have been like, that's like kind of like the elephant graveyard, you know, in Lion King, like all the way over there. Like it literally was, oh, I'm going to lose my reps for half a day for this pointless workshop, right? Because that was the way the relationship was internally. That's just how it was. And that's maybe maybe a, a 10 year ago sort of, um, thought process towards it so let's just say you, you go into a new organization right and you've got someone like how I used to be because now I'm super open-minded but back then I wasn't right but just just imagine you go in you've got someone like that who's just like oh enablement or enablement is just training you know that thing that triggers us right that enablement is yep. just training um, so what would your approach be to try and build a strong relationship with someone like that and take them from that naysayer into a champion well I think it's more it's more than just an individual relationship is what I'm hearing there. There's a cultural challenge within the, the business if I'm hearing that, right? So you're talking about a, a leader that has no exposure to enablement. Enablement is thrust upon them and they must consume it. And, you know, they aren't brought along that journey. I'd and be so happy the, about it. 
<laughs> you go, yes, now I have enablement, even though I don't know what it is, right? So Yeah, exactly. And you better like it. Yeah. Um, well, the skill set that comes to mind that I would coach my team members on is influencing without authority. And there's a variety of ways that you can do this from a systemic perspective, meaning like let's solve it at the at the system level, not at the individual level. And so that can come into like tying completion rates to performance metrics. And so there's two sided to that, right? Are you one enablement has some skin in the game? They must draw the correlation story so that folks can see the impact of the training to their their performance. But also, this is working with your HR team, your business partners, your senior leadership team to ensure that this is included in performance reviews so that sales leaders become responsible for this as a cultural mechanism. It should be included in job descriptions so that they know that it's an expectation of them. I think that sometimes we have these expectations that are unspoken versus something that is clearly articulated. And when I think about sales leaders, from my experience, there's this cyclical nature to the role because you're chasing quarterly quotas and you've got this really rigorous operating rhythm. And so the only way to really become a part of that world is to fit within that operating rhythm. And so there needs to be deep understanding of that as well. Um, other ways to influence that authority, things like offering rewards and recognition and celebrating milestones. Things like um, when you are emphasizing the benefits of a program, doing it in their language, using what's in it for them. And then provide resources and support for managers. Like don't expect that they know how to reinforce the training. Create manager enablement for them where they get a preview before their team does. So that way they're able to answer questions and they're not caught off guard and go to their you know, old response of, ah, it's okay, just do it the way we've been doing it because that's what I know best too. Um, we did this in our last organization by creating what we call meeting in a box. And it was a program that was attached to larger initiatives where managers would get a kit and it would have, here are some questions that you can ask in your team meeting to follow up. Here's a slide to leverage in your, in your next meeting. Here's coaching questions that you can ask on a deal. And here's links to dashboards that we expect for you to like be able to understand this data. And so they could independently track completion for their team and watch the progress happen. So that's one way. And then I think the last is like, make it a team effort and include them in the process because that's how you make it relevant. You lean on their expertise and, you know, you make it fit for purpose for the company versus just dropping something that is general that they have to figure out how to connect the dots themselves. So that's why internal enablement is sometimes stronger than the consulting side. Yeah, I love that. We, we do that. Well, we just started doing it. There. Not quite the full mat, the meeting in a box, but we, yeah. like we, we implemented enablement hours by role. But what yeah. we did is, so we created them. So we spoke to the managers about the content or the topics. We would create the content, but then we'd give a manager's guide, like almost like a cheat sheet, I called it, where I was like, this is what was covered. And then little sections this is what to do in your next one. This is what to ask about your next one-to-one. This is what to do in your team meeting. This is what to listen out for in gone calls. And like you say, it's like, it's great because firstly, they don't feel left behind, but then there's also no plausible deniability about the adoption, right? So it's like, it's almost as close to a win-win as you're going to get at that point, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that y'all are doing that. One of the things that I'm I'm curious about, and I'm going to also use Kieran's phrase of a devil's advocate, is <clears throat> not every enablement program you can run can be successful, um, which I guess is why you run multiple ones. 
And I'm kind of curious if you've got any examples or or potentially advice to anyone listening for, okay, if you launched a program and it wasn't uh, successful, how would you overcome that and rebuild the relationship if you've potentially, you know, damaged your damaged it initially? Yeah, one of the ways that I like to close out programs, good or bad, is by hosting an after action review or a retrospective. And so you meet with the project team, including stakeholders from the variety of levels that are impacted in the target audience and ask about what went well, what didn't, what can we do better next time? And so that gives you that opportunity to have that gut check and heart to heart conversation around were there some things that were over-engineered that became too complicated that we thought would be simple and weren't? Because that's usually what it is. It's like, we think that this is going to be a simple three-step task, but those three steps have subtasks that we didn't consider. and they become unmanageable. And so having that as a part of your regular rhythm with your program creates an expectation that there will be an opportunity to deliver that feedback in a way that is outside of like your smile sheet survey um, that you can actually drive to action and you can implement those changes in that next go round. And so you should be able to see this evolve over time to be something that is fit for your culture. And that's unique at every company. Like I, I've done this at three different organizations and I couldn't just go from one to the next and drop the same type of program structure. I needed to make sure that I understood the culture and like what was going to go over well there. And that's, that's been the strategy. At what point do you stop removing friction for other people? Right. So, so you you do one of these reviews and you get feedback and said, okay, you, you, you could have made X, Y, and Z better. You know, you could spend all day creating PowerPoint slides and decks, and ultimately, you need you need your job, need to do your job, and deliver on these KPIs and expectations that you yeah. agreed with. Where do you draw the line about? Okay, I've done my part as enablement in in regards to this internal stakeholder management. You now have to take over the reins. The way that I'm interpreting that question sounds like it would be a reactive conversation, and so the way that I would resolve that is actually thinking more proactively about how to adjust that from the beginning, and working with. How do you create a program that involves the right people along the way so that you're not having to have those conversations? The other side of it, Hector, is ruthless prioritization. Like enablement needs a seat at the table to ensure that they're focused on the right things. And if they are the right things, it is worth it to have that conversation. If you're focused on a bunch of little deliverables and tactics, to have that conversation again and again is just going to, you know, maybe you'll catch a theme from it or maybe it itself will become a thorn in your side. So. I think if you're focused on the biggest priority initiative in enablement, then these conversations are very valuable. But if you're focused on small deliverables and tactics, that's probably not the right scenario to run a, a retro like that. It's interesting you mentioned that actually. What they like, you know, you've got we all we all you know straddle that line between reactive and proactive, right? Like that's yeah. one of the biggest things in the job and that ruthless prioritization. Do I know what's interesting? In the last few weeks, I've spoken to a number of different enablement people from lots of different walks of life in different companies. And I'm like, that, I, my phraseology is like, get as close to the sun as you possibly can. You know, like get that seat at the table, get as close to that. Yeah. I think that's still that, even the other day, I was looking for something on the internet and there's still lots of articles and blog posts about enablement needs a seat at the table. We need to be involved in the strategy. I still think that that's, in my experience, it's still quite relatively unheard of to have a real seat at the table. So we're we're still quite often dictated to rather than influencing, right? And then what 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 I found and what I'm hearing from a lot of people is that we're being we're often being asked the questions and neighborhood professors to kind of justify or like what's the ROI on your program or what's like what is what what are you getting back? 
But then yeah. at the same time, the most common, the most common type of um request that we get, we can you do a one pager for this, or can you run a quick training on that, or can you do this? And if the thing is it's really tough to push back for us, right? And be like, how does that move the needle? Why does that move? Why do you need that? Whereas and again, that's I think that goes back to that stakeholder management relationship where if a manager comes like there's a there's a, a lady on my team, and I think she summed it up well. Enablement professionals don't want to be dictated to. What they want is tell me the problem and I'll help you solve it. Right. Yeah. I know you I know you think you need more objection handling training, but tell me what the problem is and let's work backwards from there. Because we've got such a broader viewpoint on all of these different elements. Because you go objection handling, why? Well, because we're not closing enough deals. Okay, why are you getting so many objections? Because you're not providing value. Okay, why are you not providing value? We're not getting the pain point. So then for us, we're going back, we're going like full matrix on a competency framework where they go objection handling, I need a one pager. So it's, it seems to be like a really common thing between proactive and reactive, right? Do you, do you, ever, do you think that will ever change? I do. And I've seen the other side of it. So um, my team at Outreach will probably tell you that we had first world problems is what they described it right. as <laughs> because I reported directly to our CRO. My peers were our internal stakeholders. So SVP of sales, head of customer success were my peers who also reported to the CRO. And so we had to have executive level negotiations to ensure that our priorities were aligned before we ever started on our program. Now, because I was having those high level conversations that limited my bandwidth to build those relationships at the VC level. And so I had to hire high level consultative enablement managers that could fill in that gap that I could trust with that, that stakeholder. And so they were elevated to the VP conversation. And from that, what we found was that we created this inverted pyramid that said enablement is only helping with something if it's scalable because of the nature of our business. We cannot handle these one-off requests. And so we created an intake process. And if it was something that started as an individual request on a team, frontline manager is responsible for handling that. If it is something that is, you know, a specific segment, regional vice president of that segment is responsible for handling that. Now, if it's something that fits all of sales or all of revenue, we're involved because it's a big enough initiative that requires enablement perspective and our strategic consulting practices. So it really depends on how the function is set up and it can be done, but you're right, it's an uphill battle and it comes down to a company seeing the value and understanding the difference between training and enablement and giving them some leeway to build that mechanism to be able to report on that value. Because, you know, you mentioned we're always being questioned about our ROI. The reality is there's a lot of times we're really not questioned about our ROI. Sure. They're like, get it done, get it done, get it done. And then all of a sudden, you know, when times are tough, that's when they start to question ROI. Because people will join a business. I know of a lot of enablement leaders that I've coached We'll join a business and they'll say, well, I know what I need to set up from, a, from an operations perspective to be able to measure success, but I'm struggling to get the business to prioritize my disparate data sets, which we're still challenged with, to set up that infrastructure when they're still building the SIP when it comes to the revenue side of the infrastructure from a data perspective. And so if you think about early prioritization and then you're challenged with it at the tail end, I mean, you're, you're caught as a rock in a hard place there. How do you find when you're you're essentially enabling enablers? And before we hopped on this call, we were you we were saying that you you scaled the outreach team from two to to twenty enablement people, which is amazing. Um, how did you find 
passing the torch in terms of, hey, guys, you've got to, um, as Kieran, to use your analogy, we've got to get you to fly closer to the sun. We've got to get you to prioritize those projects. How are you enabling other people on your team to have the same mentality that you did and accommodate all these different personalities within within the business, especially essentially because you were scaling so quickly as well? Yeah, and it's probably one of the biggest challenges I've had, but also the most rewarding was working with these incredible people and helping them understand my playbook for enablement, which I think is unique because I started in sales and then got an L&D background. Uh, that combination really brings this empathy for the role and best practices around how to roll something out. Um, so I, I, you know, my team led quarterly sessions called Enablement for Enablement, where we went through and we talked about the Addy model and how every element of the Addy model is relative to a sales process. So we started to develop these sales skills, even though it was in our language of enablement, no one needed to understand the, the correlation but us, but we started to develop those skills. The other side is hiring. Like I hired someone who was a management consultant in her previous world and transferable skill set, yes, but it took a lot to convince leadership that that was you know, the right fit for my first hire. Um, you know, she bridged the gap from sales to marketing at large enterprise organizations. And so I could see the transferability and she came in with this stakeholder management in a capacity that I didn't even have. So she even managed up and taught me things throughout the, the process. So I think there's a combination of hiring and personal development. And that's, that's what made me so excited about enablement enthusiasts is because I love giving back to my team in that way. Now I can extend that impact to other teams and other enablers outside. So. So probably the last couple of questions that we can let you go going back to enabling enablers and making the profession better just in your spare time. <laughs> um, so obviously there's lots of skills that go into creating a strong stakeholder management relationship. Is there one or maybe two skills that you believe are the most overlooked when it comes to creating a really strong internal stakeholder relationship? Oh gosh, that's a great question. When I'm coaching people on this, stakeholder management, you're right, is like such a big term. So I typically have to ask a lot of like clarifying questions to get down to the root of what part of stakeholder management are they struggling with? And that's different in every scenario, in every organization. So some of the questions that I typically ask is like, is it around leveraging sales leaders as subject matter experts in the program design? Is it around driving accountability to complete training requirements. Like that's a huge issue that I think people struggle with. Um, is it around buying around change management? Like we know how long a program should take. Are we able to push back on timelines? Is it the general skill set of influencing without authority? Or is it about turning revenue leaders into culture champions? And those are all like they take different approaches, but you hit on something in a conversation uh, earlier today, Karen, where it's like, there's a people pleaser tendency that a lot of enablers have where they, you know, they, they don't want to be dictated to, but it is easy for them. It is easy to get a, get an assignment and go and accomplish that assignment. And the challenge that, that comes from that is without proper stakeholder management or involvement, you get down to the finish line and you miss the mark. And so then you have to have double work. You have to go back and create more. You are, damaging your reputation. I mean, there's a variety of negative consequences of just getting tax, getting requests and fulfilling those requests. And so looking back, I think that's some of the strategy that, that people should think about when they're going into their next project. Love that. 
And I'm going to ask you one, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you what I think is a difficult question. So okay. I'm hoping it's not too difficult. So let's just take someone you're coaching, right? They're talking about stakeholder relationships. And you say, how are your internal stakeholder relationships? And they say, I don't know, right? I don't really know how to judge it. So if you were asking that person to reevaluate their current stakeholder relationships, what are like one or two things that point to a bad internal stakeholder relationship, maybe the same for needs improvement, or what are one or two things, or even if it's one thing that you go, because you have this, this this shows me that you've got good internal stakeholder relationships. Oh, that is a great one. Okay, uh, push, push me to clarify if something's like not all the way there, because I'm going off the top of my head on this hypothetical. But to me, some of the things that you would see as indicators that your stakeholder management was in trouble is, your training completion rates are low, your projects are stalled and the enablement professional either has to put in extra hours or they're doing that only to reach that finish, finish line. They're having like scope creep or double the work or they're, they're doing work that doesn't attach to the large OKRs of the business and they can't draw that correlation. Um, I think those are some of the things that would indicate like you're, you're missing the mark with your stakeholder relationship. But what I hope everyone gets to experience is turning your stakeholders, turning your internal customers into champions. And when that is done well, it is a different feeling. It's a different feeling in enablement. And I've seen both sides. I've felt both sides. And then I know how, like, we were talking earlier about how some of my TikToks are like just these, you know, triggering scenarios that we all go through. But when it's done well and you've got a true champion in the business, the motions that you can put into play and the flow that you feel with your enablement program becomes a part of life, a part of your general operating rhythm within the business, a part of your culture. And so that is the other extreme of when things go well, you can see those positive outcomes too. You used a, a term very briefly there, which was uh, scope creep. And yeah. <laughs> I would love to know uh, how you push back on scope creep without it affecting your relationship with that specific stakeholder? Well, that question is scope creep because I thought we were on our last one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the first one, yeah. That's, I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> I went a devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a great question. And for me, that is around um, negotiation. So the negotiation skill set, right? Like enablement can do everything. We're really talented. We hire top talent within the business. We can do anything, but we cannot do everything. And so if you want us to take this additional thing on, what is something that can come off the plate or be pushed in order to make space for that? So comes back to prioritization is what I'd say in that, in that scenario, Hector. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, Kieran and I always end with one final piece, which is the practical tip that we want to provide the audience. So if you were speaking to someone in enablement who wanted to reevaluate their stakeholder relationships, what advice would you give them and where to start? <clears throat> um, something that comes to mind that we haven't talked about yet is that clarity is kindness. And what I mean by that is define roles and responsibilities for your stakeholders so that there's clear understanding. And this could come in a few different ways. Like the most common example I hear about is around accountability. And it's fact that enablement doesn't own the accountability of the sales field to the program. Sales leaders do. And so 
we can't assume that every sales leader knows how to hold their team accountable to that or is armed and prepared with the right information to defend the programming unless we've supported them through that. So um, provide that level of clarity around expectations, whether that's frontline manager, second level leader, how they should inspect their teams, VPs, what you expect from their involvement in the process around championing and you know being the person who helps reinforce why it's important. Um, they should be around motivation and inspiration, but giving everyone the right role and responsibility and being very clear about that, I think it's going to be really critical in setting up your stakeholder management process for success. Amazing. Thank you so much. That was great. Well, this is probably a notebook worth of notes for anybody who's going to listen on internal on a masterclass, you could call it on internal stakeholder management. So really appreciate that. Um, before we finally wrap up, it would be remiss of us to let you go without you letting people know where they can find you um, and how to reach out if they want to get in contact. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love to chat with people in a variety of ways. So LinkedIn is an obvious starting point. Um, from there, I'm part of the enablement squad. So I'm accessible via Slack, uh, as well as Instagram and TikTok at enablement enthusiast. Wonderful. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. And yes, well, that's the end of another episode of Enablement Evolved. Thank you so much, Whitney. Cheers, everyone. Thank Bye. you.